Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hi there, and welcome back to The Vibe Show. I am your host, Robin Openshaw. I am the green smoothie girl online, and I am about to leave for Switzerland. I hope that some of you are going to be there, and that I'll get to meet you in person. If not, hopefully we'll do it again in uh, 2020. I'm going to be leading liver detox retreats uh, at the Swiss Mountain Clinic. It's a place I discovered on my international research tours I think eight years ago, and it's just a wonderful uh, health reboot, liver detox, downtime in the Swiss Alps. So I'm going to be taking off pretty soon. But before I go, I wanted to interview a new friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Michelle Sands, and she's an ND or a naturopathic physician. She's also a best-selling author and a female hormone expert. We've certainly inter- interviewed quite a few functional medicine doctors who focus on hormones on this show. And she's also an epigenetics expert, which is mainly the focus of this interview today. So she's been on ABC, CBS, Boston Herald, NBC, Fox News, USA Today. Interestingly, she's not only a mom, she is an endurance athlete. She's a competitive kickboxer, an adventure racer, and an ultra marathoner. So welcome to The Vibe Show, Dr. Michelle Sands. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for having me. I've heard you on other shows, and I've been really interested to have you come talk to my audience about epigenetics since I heard how much interesting cutting-edge research you've been doing about what our own specific genetics tell us about how it could guide our lifestyle, what we should eat. So I'm excited about this. Tell me how you even got into this part of functional medicine. Yeah, so so it's interesting. I, you know, I grew like most practitioners you probably talked to, like I had my own health issues growing up. I grew up in an Italian family in New York and we ate pizza, pasta, pastries. Like it was like 11 types of gluten on the table basically at any meal. And I always felt crappy after I ate. I always had bloating and gas. I had a lot of menstrual PMS issues. I was a little overweight as a child, had acne. And I, you know, I always wondered like why I would had all these issues, but I would look at my dad and my uncle and after a big meal, they would actually unbuckle their belt and go take a nap. So I'd be okay. Well, everyone feels a little crappy after they eat. It's pretty normal. And my parents didn't know a lot about nutrition. My mom just liked to feed us. It made her happy when we ate. So I ate a lot of you know, crappy food growing up. And, and when I got to high school, I, I was more concerned about my appearance and my weight. And I joined the track team and my track coach, who was amazing, her name is Coach Shay, and she was into gardening and she was an herbalist. And she saw that I was struggling. I don't even know how she let me on the track team, but she did because I couldn't run. I didn't even have running shoes. But she knew I wanted to change my lifestyle. And so she taught me a little bit about when I ate vegetables and fruits, I'd get more energy and I'd be able to have sleep better. And she taught me about herbs and gardening. And so she would actually bring me fruits and vegetables because in my lunch that my mom packed me, I'd basically have a can of Coca-Cola that was wrapped in tinfoil to keep it cold. I'd have a sandwich, like a bologna sandwich, a bag of Doritos or Ruffles chips, and then I'd have a hostess snack cake, like a Twinkie or one of the cupcakes with the little. Oh my gosh. I, I think you're the girl that I used to swap lunches with yeah, because. Start trading out the soda for juice and the chips for carrot sticks and celery and the cupcakes. That was me. That was me. You ate my lunches and I ate yours. <laughs> Nobody wanted the bologna sandwich though. So that kind of just sat around. <laughs> it was kind of like the won't, 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 you know, but she also would bring me like healthy snacks. So my mom for my snack at track practice would give me more chips and another soda. And so my track was like, no, that's not how you fuel your body. And so I started learning about nutrition. I actually lost some weight. I actually got a track scholarship to college. Otherwise, I never would have went to college because I was the first 
first, not just girl, but first person in my family to not only go to a four-year college, that was the first, and then also on to medical school after. So it really wasn't going to be in the cards for me otherwise. So that was huge for me. But I still, it didn't solve all of my problems. I still had the horrible menstrual issues. I actually lost my period for two years. I, you know, had a lot of digestive problems and I was popping Advil, basically ibuprofen in the morning to get up. So two in the morning, just so I could walk across the room because I had such joint pain. And then I take four more before track practice and then four more again before afternoon track practice. And so I was like taking like 15 to 20 ibuprofen a day. Um, and no wonder I had a lot of stomach issues. But that was how I was dealing with my problems. And when I got to college, it was a second year in college. It was a routine physical. I just broke down in the doctor's office. I, <laughs> they were just taking my blood pressure and weighing me and my height, like the regular routine physical stuff for sports. And I just started bawling. And I was telling the physician assistant how my, I didn't have my period, but I still got menstrual cramps. And I couldn't sleep, and I was taking all these things for joint pain, and I was popping tums like candy, and I couldn't eat before track practice, because if I did, I'd actually poop while I was running. Like, that was, like, what was going on with me, and I, I was just at the end of my rope, so I just let it go there in the doctor's office, just started crying and, and told my whole story, and he didn't, he just turned white. Like, he was like, I did not sign up for this. You're just here to get your pulse done. And we're just making sure you're alive. But there are a couple of nurses that were there and they took me to the side and they convinced me to go see the doctor. So I made an appointment to see the doctor. They did some blood work. And then a few days later, they just informed me that I had primary ovarian failure and that I would never have children. So they're like, your, your ovaries are done. You're basically in menopause. But there's nothing really wrong with your digestion. And there's nothing wrong with your joints. So you're good to go. You just have an issue with your hormones and you won't have kids. And they put me on, of all things, birth control pills and antidepressants. So that was like my start. Yeah. So in your question, this is a long answer to your question. How did I get into this? I, you know, I, I, I kind of lived this diagnosis for a long time and I was the girl that would never have kids. And I just kind of threw myself into my work, but it didn't seem right because I was doing, I was eating healthy. I was exercising. I was doing all the things you're supposed to do to be healthy, but why can I not do these basic things? Why can I not eat and poop normally? Why can I not have a baby like every other woman I knew on the planet who was trying not to get pregnant? I was in my 20s, so all my friends were trying not to get pregnant, and here I am not able to get pregnant. So I started searching. I was actually in school for marketing, and I started going over to the other the other schools in, in my college and asking some of the alternative medicine uh, teachers and some of the Chinese medicine professors, herbalists, nutrition people. And I started just reaching out and asking, like, have you heard of this before? Have people overcome it? What's going on with me? And the conventional medicine doctors I went to see and specialists, they didn't have answers, but the alternative and Eastern medicine philosophers and doctors and energy healers, they seemed to think there was hope. So I started kind of going down that road and I, I got a little bit of help and then I kind of slid back and then I just decided I had to take it on my own hands. I went back to school for naturopathic medicine. And so I ended up getting a four-year degree. During that time, I was my own guinea pig and I started just digging into it. not just my hormones. So I spent 10 years just trying to fix my hormones. But once I started looking at my gut health and my mitochondrial health and my detoxification systems and all these other things, I started like chipping away at the dysfunction. And then at age 39, I had my son Paxton naturally without any IVF, without any drugs. Um, and so I kind of reversed my false diagnosis of primary ovarian failure. And I also dealt with Hashimoto's and IBS and all those things. And now I don't have those issues unless I work myself too hard. Then I notice I get some symptoms coming back. What kinds of things do you do to maintain healthy digestion then? And I, I think that's really, really helpful. And I want to I, I want to stop there for a second and talk about your digestive issues because I think there's um, a huge rise in adolescent, like we'll just call them the millennials, that the millennials and younger are having major digestive issues mm -hmm. and yeah. autoimmune disease. But I, I wonder 
what you figured out your specific triggers are and how you stay well now in, I think, what, you're th- in your 30s, right? Yeah, well, I'm 43 now. Throughout my 30s, I was working on this. And, and for me, and, and we, in my practice, we, we're, I'm a naturopathic physician, so we, we look at the whole person. And we look at your history going back to before you were born, to how you were born, how you were raised growing up, and, and what your possible triggers were along the way to kind of get the picture of what each individual person needs to do. And so when I say triggers, we have an acronym in our practice called STAIN, and it's things that stain your health. And it's stress. So there's three types of stress. There's a physical stress, like working out too hard, not sleeping, um, chronic movements, um, carpal tunnel. Those are all physical stressors. There's biological stressors like food sensitivities, toxins, uh, like um, things that you're ingesting, um, you know, xenoestrogens, things like that. And then there is mental emotional stress. That's a stress we all think about, like when you're fighting your boyfriend or you hate your job or you're thinking about your finances and all those kinds of stress all play into our genetics and also our hormones and our digestion. Uh, We have our two sides of our, our nervous system, our parasympathetic, which is our peaceful side with a P and then our sympathetic side, which is our stressed out side. And when we're operating in that sympathetic nervous system, it turns off our blood flow to our digestive system and that can cause problems right there. So that's the stress, that's the S. And then there's toxins and toxins can be pretty much anything. We have a lot more toxins now, like you talked about the millennials are just exposed to a lot more toxins than we were even 20 years ago and 30 years before that. A lot of times people will talk about, oh, well, our ancestors weren't exposed to this many toxins hundreds of years ago. We weren't exposed to this many toxins 20 years ago. Every day, new and new types of toxins are coming on the scene, replacing old types of toxins. And, you know, it's just, it's an overload for a system. Our our bodies are miraculously designed to detoxify. We have built in detoxification systems, but when they're overloaded, then they can't work properly and that causes issues. And then the, the A stands for allergens. Um, the I stands for infections. Infections is, you know, could be viral infections. It could be bacterial infections. And so those are very rampant nowadays. And then the N is nutrient deficiency. So together, stress, toxins, allergens, infections, nutrient deficiencies, those are the triggers for pretty much every disease you can think of every dysfunction, every disease. And when it comes to digestion, for me, and for a lot of people listening, I was born via C-section. I was put on antibiotics every time I sneezed growing up. So my microbiome was compromised from the get-go. And then growing up, I didn't eat a lot of whole real foods. We didn't have a lot of foods from the garden on the table. We ate a lot of frozen foods, packaged foods, foods that are depleted of enzymes. And so that put me at a disadvantage. And we, you know, I was exposed to a lot of toxins. I also had a lot of stress. And so all of these things, and the gluten, right? I talked about all the different, the pasta, the pizza, the, pizza, the pastries, all of that caused basically gut permeability. So, you know, it caused issues with my microbiome balance, but also the integrity of my mucosal barrier, the, the, the wall basically between your insides and your outsides. And when things leak through, that causes a lot of autoimmunity, a lot of distress, inflammation. And that's why a lot of people are dealing with, you know, chronic diarrhea, chronic constipation, inflamed guts, IBD, IBS, Crohn's, colitis. We see that now more than I've ever seen it in, you know, in my life and in younger and younger women coming in with those issues. Were you a breastfed baby? No, I was not as bottle fed. I, I was going to figure just from just that it fits the profile of the sort of urban mom from the, you know, 70s. So, okay. So your risk factors, your C-section jacked up your microbiome right out of the gate, weren't breastfed. So didn't have that immune stimulation and that sort of peaceful babyhood. You're probably on some kind of crappy uh, formula, you had lots of antibiotics, then you went right onto a processed diet, for 13 types of gluten at every meal. Okay, so mm-hmm. you're up against a lot of stuff. What are the hard and fast rules in your own diet and lifestyle right now that have you thriving at 43? And, and like you said, you know, let's be, I'm, I like to be totally honest too and say I'm, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, recently in this past year, I wrote a book. I hosted a large summit. We moved 
moved to different locations. And so all of those stressors kind of overfilled my stress bucket. And then at the same time, I kind of let some of my practices slide. So I did start experiencing some symptoms around January. And so I had to get myself back on track. It, it's a, we talk about practicing health. You go to a, a doctor that has a practice. It's because we have to practice this every day. It's, we're, we're constantly evolving humans, constantly interacting with our environments, our lifestyles. Every thought we have, every bite we take, every breath we breathe, every move we make, these all impact our genetic expression and our hormones and our digestion and our energy production, right? And so every day we're doing these things. And so every day we have that opportunity to move closer to health or further away from health. And so nobody's got, it's not, you're never going to be done. You're never like, okay, I conquered autoimmunity. I solved my IBS issue and I'm done. You know, that just doesn't happen. It's, you, it's a constant practice. But some of the things that I do that I wasn't doing before um, was one, I, you know, I was on that track team and that was my ticket to college. So I got a little obsessed with running. And so I started doing marathons and ultra marathons. And that was really like what I was, got good at. And so I was staying thin. It was the early 90s. And so I was running a really long distance. And so I was putting a lot of stress on my body. And then I was also doing the low fat movement, you know, where I was eating like snack wells, snack cakes, and sugar-free red vines and Diet Coke. And so I was doing all those things thinking it was healthy because it was low fat. And so I wasn't, still wasn't feeding my microbiome. I wasn't giving my body whole real nourishing foods. So one of the things that is really important for me is having a balanced lifestyle. So when I exercise now, I, I do it in a way that is going to be nourishing for my body. So sometimes I may go for a run, but I'm not running every day. Um, I'll also incorporate mind-body restorative exercise to help my body to kind of restore and get into that parasympathetic state where I can actually start repairing my body. And then we incorporate some strength too. And then when I talk about that parasympathetic, when I get ready to eat, I actually take a moment and I don't eat when I'm on the go. I don't eat when I'm working and I actually sit at a table with a plate and eat. And this is something I never did before. I was always eating in my car or while I was working or on the go. And that doesn't actually allow your body to actually signal that it's time to eat and your body doesn't create the enzymes that you're going to need to break down the food. And you actually don't have that blood flow going to your digestive system. So taking time to be mindful, chewing your food and, and actually experiencing that meal, that is super helpful in and of itself. But I had to do a lot of work. I actually had parasites and some bacterial infections. So I had to clear some of those that the most important thing that I see people missing all the time is I, I see a lot of people doing yeast cleanses and parasite cleanses and bacterial cleanses. But what they're not doing is they're not restoring the integrity of their gut lining and repopulating their gut for diversity. And so when you fail to do that, then you don't actually get back that ability to assimilate your food and to break it down and to deliver it to the cells that need it. So a lot of times practitioners are missing the point even when they're helping people because they're just, they're saying, oh, it looks like you have a parasite, let's fix the parasite. And they're not taking it to the level of balance where that's where we need to be to be healthy. We need to go to balance. And so that's one thing we had to work on. Um, making sure I'm eating a variety of foods and also in season foods is really important to me as well. I don't subscribe to um, any one um, diet type of, you know, dogma. It's not that I'm eating a certain style. I eat a lot of whole real foods that are colorful. Um, my plate is always colorful. A lot of plant-based foods that are in season. And, and the cool thing about in season foods for people that are listening is they're typically less expensive. They're fresher and, you know, they're more abundant. For you. So if you eat foods that are in season are going to be healthier, you're going to get more nutrition out of them. Yeah. And they taste better too. Yeah. That too. Um, yeah. So that, those are some of the things that, you know, I, I do to help my gut health and, and to help my di me digest my food. Um, 
and some of the, that's the, some of the things that we do in our practice as well. But you know, there's there's some foundations that no matter what you're dealing with, I'm having those in place. Like you know, it's, it's the very first thing we do with everyone I work with is we we make sure they're drinking water, make sure they're drinking clean, clear water. And it's it's amazing how many women I work with, and I work with mostly women. So when I say women. It's because I work with a lot of women, but this applies to men too, for all the guys that are watching or listening. So many people don't, they say they don't like to taste the water. Like they get up in the morning and they start drinking coffee and then they might have like a green drink and then they're having a soda or a smoothie and they're not drinking water. And water is so essential to hydrating our body, getting our digestive system moving, detoxifying. We're always looking for like, what's the hot new supplement, but what about clean, pure water? Like that's huge. And that makes a big difference for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because we talk about all these, you know, fancy or things that we might not think of, and then we completely neglect the basics. And for me, if I were listing out my hard and fast rules, the things that I do every day, and that I really never slip on, that's one thing is the minute I wake up, I drink a pint of water, which is two cups of water. That's exactly what I do. I say 15 to 18 ounces is what I recommend. I mean, for those that are listening, just fill up like a mason jar the night before. Put it on your nightstand and before your feet hit the ground, drink that room temperature water. And that is like a shower for your insides. Like you're basically cleaning yourself out. You're going to have more energy when you are just a little bit dehydrated, your energy level depletes. You're going to actually have better digestion. It, it just makes a huge difference. Everything you do throughout the day is going to be improved when you're hydrated. You know, what's so funny is that we're going to go on to talk about uh, genetics and APOE and MTHFR. And, but what everybody's going to tell me is, oh my gosh, she reminded me that I got to get up and drink a pint of water. I got to have my mason jar next to my bed. That's going to be the thing that people are going to say, remember Dr. Sands said that. So, so I'm glad you said that. Let's, let's really start at the beginning, but now we'll go from, you know, the super, super basics to, uh, we have interviewed Dr. Ben Lynch. It was episode 70 on this show. And he, uh, said some things that I really like based on my admittedly not very extensive pulse on the situation of the emerging science of genetics and um, epigenetics especially. He said something that goes right along with your thoughts after reviewing what we know so far about genetics and he kind of let people not worry so much about, I have this genetic SNP or that genetic SNP. And you, you say that the body makes no mistakes and that for almost all of us, there's no such thing as bad genes. And I think people are going to find that hopeful. I want you to like develop that concept. And then I'm going to ask you about some of these genetic SNPs that have been really studied and have been in the media a lot. And people are like, do I have it? Oh no. And then we'll, we'll, so we'll go to that, but let's start with that basic question of what does that mean that for 99% of the population, there's no such thing as bad genes? Yeah. So that's really important because we would, as we're learning more and more about genetics and epigenetics, it's in the news a lot. There's a lot of websites out there that you can pull your genetics and a lot of people are feeling like they, they got dealt a bad hand, like they have bad genes. And so that's a very limited view of the human body. And we, I, I prefer to have a, a view, a limitless view of our human potential. And it, you're right, I, the body does make no mistakes and there, there's variations in genes. So it, it can, you could say, oh, well, I have brown hair and my girlfriend has red hair, which is the bad gene? Like, what is it? There's not a bad one. There's just a different one. Um, a lot of people are mis misnomering what a mutation is. So a lot of people come to me and say, oh, I have a MTHFR mutation. And what they really have is a variation. They have a, you know, a polymorphism. So a SNP or SNP is a single nucleotide polymorphism. That means a variation. Only 1%, less than 1% of the population has true genetic mutations. That's where, that's the problem. That's the bad genetics. A mutation is, it's not necessarily bad, but it's, it's something that is irreversible. Um, but most people, when they're talking about MTHFR or APOE or COMT, they're talking about variations. And with every variation, there is an upside and a downside. And so oftentimes we popularize and we 
uh, we read about on the blogs the the downside of like MTHFR. Oh, you you can't you process folic acid, and you're not methylating or detoxifying well, and you're doomed to need all these supplements. But what they're not popularizing is people with that MTHFR variant. They actually are protected against a lot of gut pathogens, a lot of parasites, microbes that can cause a lot of negative effects. And the reason why this even happens, this, these variations happen, is because it's an adaptation to the environment. And so a lot of people who their ancestors come from tropical climates where folate is plentiful, where there's plenty of green leafy vegetables, they actually, their bodies actually had this evolutionary variation to where they have this MTHFR variant because they need to be protected from these microbes, these gut pathogens. And in, as a trade-off, they actually needed to eat more leafy grains, which was plentiful for them. So that was not a problem. And they didn't have to worry about taking folic acid supplements because they didn't exist. Right. So that, so that's the, that's the upside. If you have the MTHFR variant, then you are going to be more protected against some gut pathogens. Same thing with um, APOE. So APOE, um, those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a, a gene that there's an APOE1 and an APOE2, and there's certain variations that make you um, or give you a higher probability of having cognitive decline and cardiac issues, um, specifically um, in the literature talking about links to Alzheimer's and heart disease. And so um, if you have, they, they chart these SNPs out, and if you have a, a four, an APOE4, that makes you have a higher likelihood of these detrimental issues, but it also protects you from colon cancer and kidney disease. So, you know, there's an upside there as well. And we know now that the way around going down that road for those with the APOE4 is eating a diet that has less than 6% saturated fat that will protect you from going down that road and it will help to turn off that negative side of that gene variation. You're saying that if you have either or any of the APOE SNPs, that there's evidence that you would do best to eat below 6% saturated fat? Yeah, so, so you're not limiting fat overall. You're just going more of your monounsaturated fats like olive oil, avocados, and you're limiting the animal fats, the butter, the um, even coconut oil in this case. This is why, you guys, when you hear all these conflicting things on the news, like coconut oil is good for you, coconut oil is bad for you, eggs are good for you, eggs are bad for you. It's because there's some studies done on people with certain genetic variations. And then there's other studies done in people with the opposite genetic variations. So they're both right, but they're just not right for everybody. And so when you understand your genetics, and this is why our practice is called GLOW, and it's genetic leveraging for optimal wellness. And the point of it is when you can work with your genetics instead of fighting against your body, everything's easier. Healing's easier, optimizing health is easier, eating is easier going to like watching the news and trying to decipher whether you have to deal with this thing or not, looking at supplements and deciding whether you need it or not, it's all easier. And um, because you actually have your N of one, you have what you need and not what everybody else needs or not what most people need. And so that's the beauty of it. And it's, it's not rocket science. It sounds like rocket science because we're talking about all these letters and numbers, but it's actually very easy to understand um, once you have the information in front of you. And can people follow your program if they get some genetic testing first? Yeah, so we, we actually, the, we, we've hooked up with a, a company called Apiron, and I'm actually one of the coaches for that company, but we use a test out of California. Um, it's called Diagnostics, but it's, it's not available to the public, but we make it available. Um, and what, why I like that is they, they pull more genetic variants. So they pull 746,000 genetic variants. Not that we know what to do with all of those right now. I'm going to be completely honest. We look at about 700 of those. But they actually identify you only by a barcode and not by your name. And so there's no risk of your information getting sold or used or used against you. And there's been a lot of issues with a lot of the direct-to-consumer companies 
um, releasing private information. And so we're really in, we're really conscious of protecting our clients' information. So this particular company only identifies by barcode. And so you're completely protected there. That's why we like to use them. But we can also use, if you already have a 23andMe um, or, you know, another company's reports, we can actually use that information as well, as long as you have your raw data. Yeah, good. I'm actually have been studying up and I'm doing a podcast recording, not an interview, but just myself on my research about what the ethical implications are of getting genetic testing done where you aren't a barcode, you're you're actually identified by your name, your social security number, and guess what? 23andMe's database was just bought by, wait for it, pharma. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean there's a lot. It's it's very political and I I just we're always err on the side of protect yourself. And even before this, when um, I didn't have access to this company, I would have my client use a fake name when they ordered their 23andMe. And so you can easily do that. You don't need to prove, they don't, you don't need to show your ID. So just make up a name if you want to order 23andMe, and that way you're kind of protected in that realm. Yeah, except you know what? Here's the thing. And this is, we'll go into not the really minutia part of what can happen, but if you sign up with a fake name under 23andMe and then your cousin commits a heinous crime, they can find you, right? Yeah. They could find you and they're cold, They're closing cold cases all the time, which, you know, you might think, why should I care if they have my genetic DNA? I'm never going to commit rape or murder, right? So I don't need to worry about it. But there's all kinds of really interesting ethical implications that are just starting to happen. And we're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an explosion. I, mean, I don't know how deep you want to go, but there's also been... I don't know if it's true reports or not, but there's talk of, you know, criminals actually using other people's genetic data to plant to cover themselves. So yeah, it, I, maybe I watch too many crime shows, but, <laughs> but you know, that's definitely, so anyway, protect yourself. I, I love this company because they only, they're one of the only ones I know that use uh, just the barcode to identify you. And then they absolutely destroy your information, even the barcode. They destroy that as soon as we download the report. Yeah, I mean that was like a that was a like a total side tangent. But criminals using the wrong genetic data in Twenty Three and Me isn't going to throw the police off because all they have to mm -hmm. do is get a piece of their hair, and they'll they'll still get trouble yeah. in trouble. However, that brings up another interesting conundrum that if um, pharma a major pharmaceutical company has bought the data from 23andMe and literally paid billions of dollars for it. You know, if people are going to start gaming it like that because we're all concerned about the loss of privacy and ethical implications, then there's fake data that's being used to develop medical treatments and drugs, if that's the case. True. But just to get back to the conversation, so there's there's a lot, I mean, there's tons, every variant has has an upside in, uh, you know, like sickle cell anemia. That's, you know, that's a disease that causes joint pain and weakness. And it could be even be fatal. And it's very common in um, Asian and African American cultures, but it also protects against malaria, right? So they actually were trying to use, they were using CRISPR technology, which is a, an advanced genetic technology to actually um, manipulate the genes of, of babies so that they could have babies born without the sickle cell anemia um, genetics that they're, they're actually changing the genes and when they have two copies of the the gene or the variation that's when sickle cell anemia happens but when they only have one copy that's the protection and so they're actually erasing the protection and more and more people are dying of malaria because of the intervention and so that's huge. And um, cystic fibrosis is another one. Um, two copies give you cystic fibrosis. One copy protects against tuberculosis. So there's, it goes on and on. And even when you look at like PCOS, PCOS is one of the most common hormonal imbalances that we see in women. Um, PCOS, if you were in you know, ancestral times and you had PCOS, you were gonna be a stronger woman. And so you were gonna survive. And so PCOS is actually a evolutionary um, adaptation to stress. And it actually makes you, gives you more testosterone, makes you be able to run further and fight. And so more and more women are developing PCOS because their moms and grandmothers have had a lot of stress. And so that's what we're seeing there. So it's just pretty interesting, but there's an upside to that too. 
is you're stronger. <laughs> um, you know, and then like the other thing, it's not really a genetic variation, but a lot of times, a lot of people I see coming in with like horrible chemical sensitivities, like they, um, they just feel like they're kind of like been betrayed by their bodies because they can't do anything without like reacting. You know, they, they react to smells and, you know, all, all kinds of things in their environment and food, every food. And they're really upset by this, but I always tell them like the upside of reacting to all these things is that what, you, what they're reacting to for the most part is toxins. And so their body is just hypervigilant to know that those things, telling them those things are bad for you to stay away. But a person who doesn't react, they're still being exposed to those toxins, but it's like a silent killer for them. Right. At, le at least the people with mul multiple chemical sensitivities do something about it. It's not like, it's not like those toxins aren't affecting the rest of us. Yes. That's what I'm saying. And so, you know, there is a, there is a benefit there as well. Um, you know, you, you want to obviously, you know, work on healing the immune system so that you can calm it down and you don't have quite the reaction. But the upside is it's because your body is in a fragile state and you're, 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 it's just hypervigilant to protect you. And so that is a good thing when you look at it that way. So that, again, just going back to the idea that the body, the human body makes no mistakes and there's no extra parts and, you know, all of these things, it, it's like you are a perfectly designed human being. Hmm. I love that concept. And it's actually quite uh, anxiety reducing. When we first start learning about something, we usually have a high level of anxiety. And then when we go a little bit deeper, it's it ends up being empowering. And I think that's what you're doing for us here. What do you see a lot of natural and functional practitioners doing that you're concerned about as we're so early in this field of epigenetics? Yeah, so so in epigenetics and even, you know, because epigenetics is kind of the new hot thing a few years ago is the microbiome um, coming up probably in the next year is going to be the virome and, you know, retroviruses and in it's a lot of shock and awe. It's a lot of scare tactics. It's a lot of, you know, all the messaging is like, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And a lot of it, you know, what I see a lot of times is and I have a lot of friends that are other types of health practitioners and other naturopathic doctors and chiropractors and, and, and conventional medicine doctors as well. A lot of times, like, even though they're saying they get to the root cause, root cause medicine, they'll ask you, okay, hey, Robin, you know, what are you experiencing? And you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm tired all the time. I have cold hands and feet. My hair is starting to fall out. And so what are those symptoms of thyroid? So I'm like, oh, I know what it is. It's your thyroid. So I'm going to give you a thyroid supplement or I'm going to give you armor thyroid. But what they're not doing is like, Robin, why is your thyroid not functioning? Like, let's find out why, what's going on upstream and what kind of dysfunction is happening to cause your thyroid to be dysfunctional. And that's, that's really a disservice to, to the public, to everybody, because it's not the, it's a cause, but it's not the root cause. And often, even that's a misnomer, because even in our practice, we, we, we do all the work to get to the underlying causes, but we can't always tell you what the one root cause is, because there's not usually one. And it doesn't really matter, as long as we clean up all the dysfunction. When we clean up the dysfunction, the symptoms go away. So I really believe disease, like disease doesn't really exist. It's dysfunction. There's, there's this all disease is, is the expression of upstream dysfunction. And so, you know, naming diseases and trying to match up treatments with diseases it, in the, in the naturopathic or alternative space, it's no better than conventional medicine, giving you a pill for an ill or giving you insurance code to match up with a surgery. When all we're doing is giving you a supplement to match up with your symptoms that's not really serving you either. That's not healing. That's just managing symptoms. Yeah, it, it seems like we're still just putting duct tape on the, on the over the engine light yeah. with, with a less, less toxic pill, you know, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one step better, but it's still not healing. Healing is figuring out, is actually bringing the body back to balance, finding out what's causing the imbalances. And it's not just inside your body. It's also your environment, right? It's how we're, how we're interacting with the world. So that's the whole thing of epigenetics 
But all it really means is how you express one or more of your genes and how they can be modified by your environment. And that is everything we talked about earlier. It's diet, it's infections, it's stress, it's toxic exposure, it's medications, it's your relationships, it's your thoughts, it's how well you, how resilient you are. And you have to look at all of that, not just what's going on inside, but what's going on outside. Like you talk a lot, Robin, about, you know, mind body and, and, and just the whole experience of life. And, and we're missing out on that a lot when we're telling you, oh, let's figure out where your symptoms are. And then let's, here's the supplement package that you need. So no disease, just dysfunction, bad expression, um, got to clean it up. You talk about six basic triggers that lead to that dysfunction. So I, I love constructs like that where we can focus on categories. What are these six triggers? Yeah, so we kind of mentioned them array. It's the toxins, the allergens, the viruses, infections, stress, and nutrient deficiencies. Anything you have, you can trace back to one of those things or all of those things or a combination of those things. Okay, so it's you said those in a different order this time, but it was yeah. your it was your stain. Stain. So it's it's stress, toxins, allergens, infections, and I put viruses and infections together and nutrient deficiency. Ah, so that's where the six comes in. Infections yeah. and viruses. Okay. Yeah. So basically, you know, at, you name name a condition and it it goes back to one or more of those things. And it's never in a bubble. Like if you have stress, chances are you're also going to have nutrient deficiencies. If you have toxins, you likely will have stress. And so it's not like just, oh, I just have to do the one thing. I just have to do the detox program or the hormone program or the gut program. Guess what? You're a holistic being. You have to do all the programs. Like <laughs> you have to do it all. And not all at once. But, and like we talked about the water, you have to start with the foundation. So whenever we work with people in our practice, whether they're doing our do-it-yourself program or they're working with us one-on-one, -on -one, we start with the foundations of health. Um, and some people get irritated by this because they're like, I just want the, I just want the punchline. I want the thing at the end. I want to take the hormones. And it's like, no, you really have to build the strong foundation so all those fancy protocols can work. And we have to approach our health like we approach anything else that's important to us in life. And we have to start with the foundations. We wouldn't just go, you know, put our baby into college. Then we have to teach him how to walk first, right? Like, so we have to do that with our bodies. What we've been doing all these years got us to where we are now. Not that it's our fault. Being sick is not your fault. Having dysfunction is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. It's no one's going to do it for you. There's no doctor. There's no guru. I don't heal people. I teach them to heal themselves. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is everybody in the naturopathic community and, and the acupuncturists and the chiropractors and the many types of practitioners who are trying to go to root cause and helping people reverse it. We have to have some engagement from the patient. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, yeah. that's the whole appeal of allopathic medicine besides you know, besides the fact that our insurance company pays for it, it's just that it's so passive, right? We just really, we so want to buy in on that idea. I think there's a segment, I probably not your listeners, probably not people that are listening to this, but I believe there's a segment of the population that likes to hear there's nothing you can do, that likes to hear it's not what you're eating, that likes to hear it won't matter if you exercise. I think there's a segment of the population that doesn't wish to take that responsibility, but they're not the ones that are going to heal. Those of you that are listening right now, you're actually proactively doing something to improve your health. You're educating yourself. You're learning. So that's not you. Like you're the people that want to do something. You just maybe don't know what that thing is that you need to do. And, and you need like a system or some support, some guide to put the pieces together. Or, or maybe you're already there and you're just like standing your knowledge. But I think that, that that's really important is we really have to be the healers of ourselves. And it's, I, I hear the crazy things every week from my clients. Um, today I was talking to a 43 year old woman, same age as me. And I asked her, we were looking at her genetics actually. And she has um, genetics that, that show that she doesn't actually transform vitamin D from the sun and that she likely needs to supplement with vitamin D. So I said, Hey, you know, have you had your vitamin D checked? with your doctor and he said, my doctor says I'm too young to check my vitamin D. 
Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it's like so funny because like, okay, kids need vitamin D. Why would you be too young to check your vitamin D? But there's all these crazy things that are being said. Um, I don't know where they come from, but it was just kind of funny. Yeah, I saw somebody post on my Facebook page today that they were in a room with two medical doctors who were making fun of people talking about leaky gut and they were making fun of, you know, that that doesn't exist and whatever. And this person who's a complete lay person, but who works in the, I guess, in the medical setting somewhere said, have you guys ever even looked that up on PubMed? Like you really, you really should look that up on PubMed. Yes. Well, you know why? There's no such thing as leaky gut, but there's intestinal permeability. Like, and so it's the same thing, but it's just like, you know, going back a while back, like there's, there's adrenal dysfunction that exists, but there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue, you know? So it's just semantics. But the thing happens, right? And and you're like we talked about root cause. Like the cause of your problems is not adrenal dysfunction. That's the result of your problem. So it's not like, oh, well, I figured it out for you. You have adrenal dysfunction. It's like, no, you have a dysfunctional adrenal gland. It's not working optimally, but we have to find out why. Yeah. We did it we did a great um, interview with Ari Witten recently. Oh, he's amazing. I love Ari. Yeah, and he talked about the if you if that's a shock to you and you haven't heard that one and you think and you are walking around like a good friend of mine for many years did saying, Well, I have stage three adrenal failure, you need to go listen to that um, episode with Ari Witten. I think I've interviewed him three or four times, but we did a specific episode on the HPA axis. Okay, so three different glands working together. It's not there's really no such thing as adrenal fatigue, which doesn't mean that your adrenal fatigue can be indefinitely abused. And like you said, I, I love how you put that. It's like you kind of boiled down his whole uh, detailed argument into one tiny little um, soundbite, which I love. But that's the case with so many things. And that's, I think that's part of the confusion. You know, most of the women who work with me, they're just coming. They're so confused. They're mind boggled. They have literally a suitcase of supplements that they're taking because so many people said, this is good for this and this is good for that. And, and, you know, there's all these catchphrases. I have the MTHR mutation. I have adrenal fatigue, you know, all these things. And it doesn't really, they still don't have the sense of it. They still don't know what to actually do to heal. Right. And the good news is all these little um, micro diagnoses that you've been carrying around or pulling in your little red wagon behind you, it's a lot of the same actions, uh, action taking in your life will probably get rid of a whole bunch of them. So <laughs> that is, that is probably the most eloquent thing that people can take away. That is so true. And like, I, I hate like ever sounding uncompassionate, but it's the, to say that it doesn't really matter what your diagnosis is. It, it's kind of true because you're still going to, you know, do the foundations. You're still going to, you know, work on improving your gut and immune health. You're going to work on balancing your hormones and neurotransmitters. You're going to improve your detoxification, your transport systems, your cellular integrity, your energy production. And once you do all that, if you can remove dysfunction from all of those areas, you will be living optimally healthy. I wonder what you think of this piece of advice. If we feel like giving this joint piece of advice is that um, this is just an observation I have in dealing with people all day, every day, many of whom are unwell and you have a similar career is that to ask yourself, like, how attached are you to this diagnosis? How many times this week have you told someone that you have, I have fill in the blank, whatever your diagnosis is, um, how attached to it are are you, are you pulling it in a little red wagon behind you? Are you cradling it like a baby and walking around with it and it's become your identity? And I sound like I'm being sarcastic. And it's like you said, I don't, I don't want to make fun of people. That's not the point. But I am being provocative here on purpose because when we attach to something like that, how are we going to get, how are we going to put it behind us? How are we going to get rid of it if it's such a part of our identity when it, a, a small shift might disappear? I mean, for heaven's sake, I had 21 diagnoses. I had 21 diagnoses 20 years ago. I have zero now. Yeah, exactly. And not to mention the, the whole nocebo effect where if you believe that you have a disease, you're going to start expressing symptoms of that disease. It's documented time and time again. There's tons of documentation of women who were diagnosed with breast cancer on a mammogram, and they actually did not have breast cancer, and they developed breast cancer. And then there's also a diagnosis of women who had breast cancer and actually went away on its own because they weren't told they had breast cancer. 
So, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous how your brain and your body and your thoughts can actually manifest symptoms if you believe that's going to happen to you. Fascinating. So tell us where we can find more from you. Are you seeing patients? If so, where? And I know that you have a video course people can take about how to get their genes to express in the best way possible. Yeah. So we have a a 100% virtual practice called Glow Natural Wellness. Um, Our our website is glownaturalwellness.com. I actually, if you kind of are interested in any of the little philosophies that I mentioned today, I actually created a four-part video series called Natural Healing Made Simple, where I break down like the five steps I use in my practice to help everybody heal themselves from their conditions, no matter what they are. I talk about the triggers. I talk about the three kinds of stress. I go into the five steps. I talk about epigenetics and what that means and how to actually leverage your genetics so that you can be well. And it's completely free. Um, if you go to our website and you go to the homepage, it says free learning on the top. You just click on that and you'll be taken to the Natural Healing Made Simple page. And in, in, if, when you're going through the course, we include a metabolic assessment so you can kind of see um, based on what you're experiencing, what, uh, what systems of the body might have dysfunction. And I tell you how to read that. And so there's a lot of great little freebies along the way. But my goal is just to educate people and empower them rather than have them being disempowered by their condition, really being empowered by their condition. And all, anything you see from me will never be fear-based. It will never be doom and gloom. It's always, I truly believe that we have infinite potential and we're just just scratching the surface right now of what we understand about genetics and biology and energy medicine. And if we can just we can just stay on top of it and, and give our body what it needs. We are going to be able to thrive and, and everybody's going to live a healthier, happier life. And nobody's going to be mean. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to end. No one's going to be mean. Well, you know, when people are in better health, they're just nicer. We could use a lot of that. Anybody who spends 10 minutes on Facebook sees a lot of meanness. Well, you're doing such great work and I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Dr. Michelle Sands. Oh, thank you so much, Robin. It's been a true pleasure.